Hey everyone. Hello. I'm Linda. And I'm Drew. This is At Home. This is At Home. <laughs> and this is a show where we chat with artists, experts, leaders, dreamers, and doers on the impact that they're creating in the world starting at home. This is what I love about At Home. This is our chance to learn more about our relationships with ourselves, our community, and our planet. Because mm -hmm. we really do believe that any difference that we want to make out there in the great big world starts right here with ourselves at home. Tuesday, Drewby. It's a great Tuesday because I have made progress in my office. Oh my gosh, I can see. I can show you your rug. Well, that so that the bench, I have a side bench under the window in my office and I have had puzzles and miscellaneous mm -hmm. things piled up on that for about seven months or more. When we actually ordered a whole bunch of puzzles when we first went oh into isolation. Oh my gosh, remember how obsessed we were? We, were we thought we were going to make a career out of puzzles. And we were <laughs> we ordered like 3,000 piece puzzles and all this and we, we were doing them fast. And by like, career out of puzzles, I mean like we thought we would be expert like speed puzzle, what do you call it? Puzzlers? puzzlers. Puzzle sure. solver, solvers? But then after we kind of did a few and then we were over it. And then we I got mean, puzzled out. Uh, but I want to get back into it. I still do enjoy it. We still have one that's been sitting on the um, the coffee table. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Annalise, I don't know how late she stayed up last night, but she did not finish. No, she She said didn't. she was going to. <laughs> but it's, uh, wait, what's it called? That's the, that's the Grand Budapest Hotel one. Yeah, yeah. So we, we have not been making fast progress yeah. on that one, but we're getting there. That but one's so difficult. I've moved all the puzzles into the puzzle closet. We have a, like a game Ooh. closet. And so now I can sit on the bench if I want to just sit there and smile and stare out of the window. At the morning sun. Like a creep. Oh, I was going to say like a creep. <laughs> and yell at the kids playing hockey on the street. Get off my lawn. <laughs> okay, dad. <laughs> um, what else? What's another highlight? Oh, okay. Here's a good one. Uh, we were eating edamame beans yesterday. And Audrey, out of nowhere, just said, how have you been? So Audrey is our niece and, and she's five years old, uh -huh. but she is really enjoying puns. <laughs> she has under, she lear she's learned and understands what a pun is. And so everything she says is quite punny. <laughs> I was very, very <laughs> proud. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> Linda is the pun queen and you're rubbing off on her. Mm -hmm. Pun queen in training. Pun princess. It was, a, it was a pun time. All right. Let's talk about today's guest. I am very, very, very excited because I didn't actually get to meet her when she was here. Yes. Bregan Jane was on Brother versus Brother. She was one of our design judges. She got to judge me. <laughs> uh, so she's a, she's a designer, mother, philanthropist, writer, entrepreneur, restaurateur, Radio host, DJ, the list goes on and on and on. She has done so many things. I literally think she must be 190 years old. <laughs> oh, wait, go, going back to um, you being judged. Oh. Every, everything has aired, right? I always forget. Yes. Okay. So do you remember if she picked yours or Jonathan's? I'm pretty sure she picked mine because I'm awesome. Okay, good. So we can continue with this conversation. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, still love her. <laughs> I would not bring her back. No, I, I honestly can't remember, but it it was great having her. She's just such a fun energy. She is so, so busy, but she has this relaxing feel to her. Yeah, she's she's like very energetic and at the same time very zen. Yeah, totally and grounded. I, I did my hand thing when I said grounded, like <laughs> like I'm I'm holding um, zen. Well, on top of everything else that Bregan has on the go, she is also extremely philanthropic. She supports her community so well. She's actually a member of Single Moms Planet, which is a mentoring organization for single mothers in poverty. And she also works with Union Rescue Mission, which works to end homelessness in LA. And, and, and she actually works with World Vision and has done trips around the world supporting other families and other communities. We're super excited to have her on at home to learn how she has transformed herself yet stayed true to her values. Yes, this is Brigan Jane. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're, they're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. 
Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices like my lights, my locks. (laughs) My security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. First, we want to talk about your home life, because at home, we always dive back into our home life growing up. Well, do you guys know I'm adopted? Yeah, we saw that. So my experience, I have two siblings. My sister and I were both adopted before we were born. So the only parents I've ever known Mm. are my cute little white parents who look (laughs) nothing like me. And I say that because I wanted five kids. I only have two boys, but I do think it is a reaction to being an adopted child to want to have a lot of kids and to want to see like your face Mm. on somebody else's face. It wasn't something I experienced as a child. And so it's hilarious that both the boys are just like my face copy and pasted. Um, (laughs) Right. But uh, it did just teach the love of family. You know what I mean? At the root of it, that has not changed. And I don't feel like there was anything that I was missing. And it was that moment of like becoming a mom and having kids where I I did wonder, I was like, am I going to feel something that like I didn't feel or, and that moment for me was just like so fulfilling and complete because love is love is love. Changing diapers is changing diapers. And I was very fortunate to have a loving family environment as a young child. And I get to provide that for my kids and Nana and Papa are a big part of our lives, especially while I film and continue to grow in TV. And so I'm just grateful. But I will say us taking after our parents, guilty. My mom would always stop at the wildflowers and you weren't allowed to pull over. So the law she was breaking was pulling over, but we would cut all the wildflowers in through that whole marina area and take them home and have like these gorgeous (laughs) flowers all over our house. But she'd be screaming like, get him, get him, get him. We gotta go, we gotta go. Start the car, start the car. It's like criminal florist uh, activity (laughs) or something like that. Oh, I like that that name for a a flower shop. The criminal florist. (gasps) So is that where you got your love of color and design and... Yeah, my mom does not want to give herself credit, but she is the ultimate homemaker. She mosaics, she paints, she crafts every day she can with my children. And in her mind, it's just... I totally think it's what made me me, but she's like, no, 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 I'm not a designer. And I'm like, have you seen your house? (laughs) She sounds like an adventurous soul. Can you talk about your upbringing and how you think your creativity was fostered? Yeah, so definitely. Um, My parents are very conservative and but they value creativity. And so things were always presented to me as a challenge. Like something I just was reminded of was like, my mom wouldn't let me wear heels in sixth grade. She was like, Mm-mm, Why we're not would you want to wear heels yet. in sixth grade? Oh, because uh, the Spice Girls were like everywhere. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's <laughs> fair. That's fair. <laughs> I totally dated myself. But you know what I mean? You're like, I want to buy heels. Mm-hmm. And my mom's like, no. I'm like, just the little one. She's like, no. I was like, well, what if I make them myself? She was oh. like, well, if you can make them and wear them, then sure, go right ahead. And I went down to the garage with my dad, turned <laughs> you know a block of wood into a platform. I took a dowel for the heel. I duct taped it. I nailed it. <laughs> I wrapped it in, um, I believe, leopard print. Oh my and gosh. I wore those things for two years. What? So, oh my God. <laughs> well, because I, I didn't reach appropriate heel age. So they would be like the thing I brought out as a party trick. That is so cool. Yeah. My parents were just like, if you can make it and you can create it, then you can do it. But they didn't necessarily provide me like an easy norm, you know, for somebody who's so creative and determined. That if you can dream it, you can make it attitude. It's definitely evident in everything you do. We could not believe all of the different jobs and careers you've had so far. And you're still so young. Overachiever. 
Wait, what? I, I, I am. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I would probably miss something. And it's it's funny. My friends refer to them as the lost files. I'm like, oh, <laughs> we're in the Bregan lost files. There's books in the Bregan lost files. <laughs> but yeah, I started in fashion and I had my own clothing store. And then I went into estate management. That's what got me into design was being able to really care for somebody else's house and build things for the mm. first time. Um, but I then I turned that into real estate development and I was in yacht manufacturing for a while, more on the creative branding <laughs> side. Um, but I I am a glutton for a challenge. Restaurant hmm. owner, radio yes. host, DJ. DJ, yeah. Okay, what's the story about DJing? That's where, at the time, I was in estate management and I had a big, serious career job. And it was something I had wanted to do at 18, but I didn't really consider like a career. Like I just sort of didn't allow myself to really explore it as that option, but I always, always was drawn to it. And so once I sort of had a very established career and my life was built around it, I needed something just for me. And so at night for like over two years, I was like the older lady at the DJ class and I was the getting my great age. But you know what I mean? It was a bunch of kids and yeah. I took it very seriously because I was like, no, I've been wanting to know this, how to do this since I was 18 and now I'm not 18. And um, honestly, the it it's just, I just love it. It was a creative outlet for me. For somebody who's pretty ADD, it is repetitive movement that just helps me zone out. It's almost like meditative and piano for me, I never really learned the skills far enough along to like be able to just sit down and play, mm. but I could sit down for three hours and try to get Paul Simon to mix with mm. like my favorite Ibiza background track. Mm. And I would just practice it for hours and hours. It's, it's interesting too, because you know, you hear people say all the time, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. And you are that person because you have so much on the go, but it's almost like all these different things are unlocking your creativity and, and what you can do. Okay, tell us about Bregan, the children's book writer. You created the coolest book called Carby, who is on a journey to overcome the adversity of being lost and stuck in a difficult place. Yeah, you seem to have such a love, care and compassion for kids and what they might be going through. Did that always come naturally to you? I think... You know, before I wanted to be a designer, when you would ask me, like, when I was, like, six or seven, Brigan, what do you want to be when you would grow up? I would say a neonatal nurse. I always was drawn <laughs> to infants and kids. And most adults would look at you like, what did she How did you say? know what a neonatal nurse was? Like, that, that's well, a very specific label. Incredibly inquisitive and was like, mom, what's the, what's the doctor that works with babies? Mm. No, but, like, mm. the littlest babies. Like, <laughs> I want the day-old babies. <laughs> Um, I don't have what it takes to be a medical professional and um, my sister's an EMT, but like I would pass out. I can't deal with that much. But what I think I was sort of finding out about myself is that maternal spirit in me is just who I am genuinely. And I, I, I actually think I was living in Austin when I first wrote Carby. Mm. And I just wanted to be able to explain struggle to a younger audience. And at the time, I don't even think I knew it was a children's book. But just mm. one night, I was just like, why does no one talk about the creation of a diamond? Like, it really is being stuck between a rock and a hard place to mm. become something beautiful. And this is an easy way to tell a very complex emotional story. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it down. It was one of those two in the morning, like creative moments where it just comes to you. And I then for the next five years was so sad that I couldn't find it. Like I filed it away somewhere and between moves and moving apartments later in life, like I kept looking for it. I was like, I'm going to come across it this time when I move. I'm going to come across it this time when I move. And um, I never did. Um, and then when I was in Kenya, I was on my way to speak to a ton of kids and I was who are living in struggle. And it was just sort of this moment that clicked where I was like, and you feel sorry for yourself because you lost the book. Like mm. it's in you. Rewrite it. You have kids now. Like this was a story that was birthed to tell, but 
just because you are given those creative moments. And I think you guys both know this. It's, it's the actual doing and creating that's the hard part, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and so it was just sort of that moment again where I was like, why are you feeling sorry for yourself? This was a story that was yours to tell. And the original inspiration moment might not be there, but the story is in you. And for whatever reason, you felt compelled to tell it. So now's the time. Did, yeah. it, did it change from the original version from what you remember? Did this story evolve when you started to rewrite it and then think, because now you're in a different spot in your life. Um, coming back to it. I think that everything happens for a reason, right? And now I have children. So I'm sure it's being told better than probably post, you know, before I had kids. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that the original heart of the story was one of those creative moments. I don't know if you've ever felt this way where like you just have this creative idea, but it doesn't exactly come out the way you want or for whatever reason you can't make that perfect song at that moment but you can hear it in your head yeah totally you really want it to come out you have to just sit down and write it and so that was part of the lesson for me was like doesn't matter how inspirational the moment feels if you don't do the work no one's gonna hear this yeah I feel like your story of of how that book came to be in itself is is so inspirational because it it just shows that you know you don't just find gems like you have to work hard at like forming it and shaping it um it takes work it's you don't just find it sure like the inspiration may come but like you got to hone it you to got, make it into yeah, something I, I can walk into a house and see what it's going to be but you have to paint it you have to yeah. build it you have to and so i think that uh, applies to a lot of creative endeavors. And to be honest, this is why I'm with Linda because she is so creative. She puts in that work and creates those amazing ideas and then I just steal them and I use them as my own. <laughs> everyone, needs, everyone needs a beautiful muse. You know, there you go. Speaking of, uh, oh, sorry. Go no, no, go, no, go. Uh, I was just going to say, going off of uh, Carby as an inspiration, you are very open about talking about your struggles and your experience as a single mother. And you talk about, you know, being maternal your whole life. Has becoming a single mom changed your maternal instinct or your like the way you mother or just the way you are in general? I think it's helped me find a strength that maybe I wouldn't have known I had if I had had partnership as an option for, Mm -hmm. you know, just raising children. And I always like to be like, you know, no one gets married and thinks they're going to end up divorced, right? Like nobody's (laughs) like, hey, by the way, I'm, you know, a few years from now, I'm just going to throw this out the window. But, but when you're on the other side of it, you recognize that there's an unfortunate stigma that's attached to things. And so you're sort of forced to find your own strength and create your own sort of definition now that you are the thing that you and everyone has always stigmatized. And so that for me has really helped me just find deeper strength. Um, But I also like love that I am primary parent, you know what I mean? And I've got boys. I always thought I would have girls. I wanted girls, that maternal part of me, like wanted like, you know, us in matching tutus. And now that I have boys- You can still do that. Right? Um, And trust me, I do. Um, (laughs) We have all sorts of matching outfits. But, you know, the the male energy that my two children do have is very balancing to my girly thrilliness. And they sort of balance me out. And I, I just love our unit. Like I am mom and what I say goes. And Mm -hmm. I am like, what are these wild animals? Like, (laughs) yeah. Well, you know what? I got to say one thing for, I'm just going to show you what I'm working with here. This is uh-huh. my hair. That's my uh, wild yeah. animal. <laughs> Your kids have the best hair I have ever seen on this planet. It's amazing. I have total hair jealousy. How do you raise your kids? Uh, is it similar to what your parents, how they raised you, or is it different? It is very similar. And I don't think any of us want to admit that, mm-hmm. but I I do see that, and maybe not in the exact way, right? Like I grew up in a two-parent household. There were very distinct roles in my life. Um but I, I do like encouraging their creativity, allowing them to, I'm strict, you know, in a different way. Um, and I don't conform to the parental norms of our neighbors necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
my word is word. And then, and I think my parents were that way. Mm-hmm. Their word might've been different than mine, but mm-hmm. it didn't matter what the neighbor kids were doing. Yeah. And I'm very much the same. Like, this is what we do as a family. That's what they do as a family. And we all respect each other's ways, but this is mommy's way. And this is our household way. And that's, so I'm so curious when we have our kids, cause we don't have kids yet, but we want to have kids. I'm so curious to see, there's all these thoughts that we have now of how we want to raise the kids, but how it's going to change when it happens. And with what you said right there, because my mom and dad said the same thing. They said, I don't care that your friends let you have junk food and stay up and watch TV until whatever time. You don't do that in this house. (laughs) And Uh I I would be frustrated. But then as I got older, I started to respect why they had their their different uh, reasons and the fact that we don't all have to have the same rules at home. Uh, anyway, so I'm just curious to see like my mindset, if that's going to change a lot once we actually have kids and also the getting exhausted. Am I going to let them like pull one over on me? Cause I was always like, nope, when I set a rule, it's set and our kids are going to abide by it. I'll probably just be yeah, exhausted. How, how do you, I guess, keep your head on your shoulder with everything you have going on plus two kids? I know. Right. I, I think that because of that, that my parents made me be okay with not being exactly like the neighbors and be secure in that, Mm -hmm. that I'm giving my children that same thing. So even from a very young age, uh, just bad behavior didn't fly. I didn't mind, you know, we have this little saying right now where they're just boys, they're just all over the place, they're climbing walls there. And we sort of have a little saying where I'm like, excuse me, sir. And they're like, yes, mommy. I'm like, attention. (laughs) And like, it stops them in their tracks. But I see other parents look at me like, who is this crazy? Like good friends of mine have been like, I always want you do that thing or, you know, Mm. but I have us, we have our own way that we live life. And I hope that that translates to them and their own ability to be independent beings. I think without knowing it, that's what my parents gave me. Mm -hmm. They were like, it's okay that we're not like everybody else. You're so amazing and awesome. It's also obvious that you watch Kindergarten Cop. And so that's rubbing off on you with how you raise the kids. Attention. Attention. I always like to think that it's more like Sound of Music, but from like, you know, they come down like March down. It's like, I got a little bit of the kernel in me. There you go. <laughs> I think it's especially important now to foster that because obviously with social media, it's, you know, it's very easy to fall into a culture of comparison. So you have to have strong roots and a strong foundation at home and be sure of yourself and your own values before you go out into the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you are the kids getting to the point where their friends have cell phones and they're like, yeah, but my friends are allowed on social media or they're allowed to watch YouTube videos? Yeah, seven so, years old. So my older son, even at seven, will look at me and he goes, put that on TikTok, mommy. I'm like, <gasps> how do you even know that? Like, what is? Yeah. But um, I do think because they also think everybody is on TV, by the way, because mom's on TV and like, they see me on TV and they're like, well, isn't everybody, um, Mm. celebrity perception is different to them. So like I grew up, people on TV were different than people on my phone Mm -hmm. to my kids. People are viewable on a screen, whether it's Nana's Mm. Facebook or, you know, their favorite superhero, they can Mm -hmm. interact and see anybody on a screen. So Mm. we got all the grandparents like two Christmases ago, a bunch of Alexa devices with the screen because I was like, you guys can't take my phone all the time. Like I'm busy. Like here is an Alexa. Grandma has an Alexa. Your other grandma has an Alexa. Call away with your voice. So it is interesting Mm. that even at five and seven, technology and the ability to reach people is just right there. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. If you're in that moment where maybe the kids are having a bit of a fit or they're, they're sort of like getting on your nerves, all these other things are happening, something else isn't working and you just are at your wit's end, how do you cope? How do you find the strength to still raise them and set the example? I think that I've had to forgive the perfectionist in me. Mm. And I think one thing that I've learned to do is apologize to my own kids Mm. because we're going to lose it. I mean, I lose it. Every parent does every now and then you're just at your wits end. And one of them jumps off and, 
you know, hits the wine glass all over the rug you just bought and whatever perfect storm happens and you just lose it. But where I try to be human with my own children is, you know, (laughs) I forget what my son said the other day. Oh, I'm always late. I'm that person. I take on too much. So I'm always late. And we were running somewhere and I'm super like frustrated and we're getting in the car and I'm like, don't tell your car seats. And then I'm, I was just like, I know mommy's always late. And, and you know, Kings is like, yeah, you're always late. And I was like, I know I really need to work on that. I'm going to work on that. I should work on that. Mommy's going to work on being on time. Mm-hmm. What are you going to work on this week? Mm-hmm. And so those are the moments that I try to build lessons in their own resilience, but in my ability to be imperfect and still push towards wanting to be my best self. Yeah. Let me point out that Bregan was on time for this call. She was, <laughs> she was not late. In fact, I and was the one that was late. late. Yeah. <laughs> Darn it. We're I, going to work on that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, can I report back to my kids that mommy is working on it? Yes. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's so cool to include them in the process and to be transparent about it and not not just make excuses, but say like, just like own up to it and be like, yep, that's me. But you know, I know it's not the greatest, but maybe next week will be better. And I love that you are saying that you apologize to your kids because I do know a lot of adults that think, no, I'm the adult. I'm the one I can't show weakness because the kids will take advantage of that and they'll see it. I don't think apologizing is a weakness. It's, it's uh, something to relate through in my opinion. I mean, I think that's really strength too. Yeah. It takes more strength to apologize. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So I wanted to shift a little bit to, um, on top of, I mean, you're filming and writing and raising amazing kids, everything else you do, you are also very involved philanthropically. It's really important to us. I mean, we're on this planet to help support everyone else on this planet. But I want to hear about yours with some of the different organizations you've worked or what what drives you to give back, even with how busy you are, you make the time. Well, I primarily work with World Vision. I mean, that is who I love partnering with. I think probably same as you. You know, you really want to trust the organizations that you're working with. And luckily, that was something my parents introduced me with at a very young age. And it's a charity organization that my mom has worked with since Mm. her childhood. So Mm. my first vision trip was at 12 to see their microloans programs in Costa Rica. Mm. And... um, You know, one of the things I love about their programming is you can really find your passion program and what it is you care about and then be as involved or as uninvolved as you want, but know that the greater good is really being accomplished. So I I was introduced to Margot Day, who now works and partners with World Vision, and her cause was really women's education in uh, North Pakot, but Kenya. And it, it had to do with just women's rights and brutal women's rights. And at the time, um, it was very interesting to also have already been a part of that and then be able to visit as a single mom mm-hmm. of color. And um, I remember just getting there and I'm like, I'm a woman landowner with a business and two children and nothing stops me. You know what I mean? But I still have to go through hurdles of people's perception of me. Mm. If I had been born here, I would be the same woman you are with the same possibilities you have. And that's not okay. And so I'm going to do something to to help change that. And um, yeah, I just, it's where my, It's really amazing that you were able to experience that like we did too, to to travel to another country and actually see um, sort of society through a different lens and see struggles that people have through different lens because they just weren't born where we were born. Mm -hmm. And it was really eye-opening for us too. When we were in India, it was, we were um, looking at issues surrounding child slavery and child labor. And uh, the same thing, you know, some of we were in the slums in New Delhi and you know, there are many beautiful areas, but where we were in the slums, it was really, really rough uh, in, in there. But you see the local entrepreneurs and what they were trying to do to better their situation, to get out of their situation, to try and educate. And World Vision had uh, opened up schools within the slums. So they're little lean-tos and it's a tiny little space, but they get all the kids from the slums to come in there to try and get them base education 
because with that base education, then they can actually get into the main school system, which they can't. Unless they have that base level, they're not allowed into the main system. And so it was really yeah, eye-opening. It was, it was so heartwarming to see as well that, you know, I think about 30 students or something fit in a room this small. Yeah. Um, and that was their school. That was their entire school day. But they were so happy to mm-hmm. be there um, and not yeah. on the streets um, picking garbage and, and selling selling things on the streets. And it's my actually one of my brother's passions is an orphanage in India. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has brought me back stories from there. And I think that when we when we open ourselves up to those experiences, you it's so polarizing because in some ways you are like, what is this world mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I didn't even know exists? But then you meet people and you shake hands and you look into people's eyes and you're like, but this could be me. This yeah. could be my brother. This mm-hmm. this is me. And um, I'm just always trying to encourage people to find something where their heart feels and thrives. You know, yeah. I'm somebody who has a lot of feelings and a lot of creativity. And I used to just feel weighed down by that. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't solve anything. I, there's no change I can make in this world. And uh, it was actually my dad who was like, yeah, no, you're not going to solve the planet, Brigitte. And I was like, wait, what? Like, huh? <laughs> you told me I could do anything. Remember that? And he was like, no, you're not going to change the world. And he was like, but I know one thing for sure. You can absolutely, most definitely make a difference for somebody somewhere. That well, I know for sure. That's the exact and, same thing that you're saying there. It's you may not change the world, but you'll be a world of difference in one person's eyes or in, in a group of people's eyes. 1000%. And that was like the conversation I needed to go, okay, I can help somebody. I can't help everybody, but I know I can help somebody. And that is around us every day. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. You were one of the only women in your DJing workshop. You were creative director for a luxury yacht company, also with mostly men in Texas. Can you talk about how you deal with and manage the um, initial judgment and misperceptions of you? Oh, for sure. I sort of love being undercover boss and I still love to do it. Like, you know, I'll go into a plumbing fixture store and you see all these commission-based people sort of ignore you. And I might purposely like go in sweats with my hair in a ponytail (laughs) to like see who's going to ignore me, you know? And there's a power that I've always felt to going, just underestimate me, you know? And it's the one nice lady or whoever the person is who comes over and starts asking me questions and you just get your Julia Roberts moment where you're like, big mistake, you know? And then the guy in the field sort of straightens up and he's like, you need how many plumbing fixtures? Where's the property? And you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Bet you didn't think anything. Like I'm often trying to remind myself to reward um, other good humans and to be okay with being underestimated and recognizing that that just energetically wasn't there for me. And because I've felt, um, you know, different at times, I am really drawn to anybody else who feels different and maybe hasn't found their strength in that power. And I don't know where that comes from. I'm sure just my own experiences, but I am that girl and I was that girl in sixth grade who's like, no, 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 hold my beer. I got this. (laughs) And I don't always do it for myself, but for somebody else, like if they are getting picked on, I am like the most maternal mama bear. Mm. Um, And so I just create those moments, whether it's through employees or friendships, but like, Mm. Did you, did did I ever hear you wrong? Or did you say in eighth grade, you would be like, hold my beer? Is that what you said? Well, she probably, did. but that's a different <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> Yeah, like I, that wasn't me, it was root beer. You know, the same sort of, the same, that type of yeah. um, 
personality where if somebody was getting picked on, it yeah. was like, go get Bregan. And oh, yeah. my friends are still that way. They're like, ooh, Bregan. Because everybody needs that person in their corner. I mean, I, I can remember, I was like that too. And it was the way my, my dad raised us, uh, my mom and dad raised us is that, you know, it doesn't matter if I want to get my ass kicked, if somebody's being picked on or if someone's being um, disregarded or if somebody's being disrespected for any reason, you go over there and you and you stand in their corner. And again, if I do get my butt kicked, it was worth it because I stood up for what was right. And I, I really do love that he instilled that in us. It's such a fun and energizing way, uh, the way you look at being underestimated because it's just, again, you thrive on that challenge to show them that uh, you made a mistake. Like you shouldn't have underestimated me. Mm-hmm. Right. And occasionally I'll be like, I don't, I just don't know what to do. <laughs> you work with what you're given. And yeah. sometimes it's like you just end up in the flow of things and you realize that evil's evil, good is good. And I'm looking for the good wherever I can yeah. find it. But like the evil's not going to stop me. Yeah. No, I, I love your drive and that sort of tenacity. Um, I, I think one thing that I, Looking at me, you know, I I understand certain privilege that I have been born into, whether I'm a male, um, I'm a white male, and being born in Canada and living in the U.S., there are a lot of things that that I already have going for me before I even step out my door. Um, And so I really have a deep respect for people who have really stepped up to to be a role model um, that don't have the certain privileges that I have and and. Any, any way we can ever lend our voice and, and, or hand to bringing awareness to just everyone being able to live their life, have the love that they want to uh, have, have the opportunities they want to have. Um, it just means so much to us to, to see someone else like you that's really um, bringing a, a hand to that, attention to that. And I think in a lot of ways, I, I love my privilege in growing up in a home with loving parents and being introduced to charity work. And, you know, that that is something that I recognize I was given and I can give back, you know, and somebody will always have it better than you. You know, I grew up in L.A. Like some friends had like Rolls Royces at 16 and, you know, other people look at it and and they see my life and they're like, well, that must have been so nice. Somebody's always going to be better off than you. Somebody's always going to be worse off than Mm you. You can always ask somebody for help but you can always help somebody. Totally. And and I think that's one thing going back to what you were saying about the philanthropic work that you do and that you've traveled abroad. I love that you set an example where you can help locally. You can help in your community, in your city, in your country, but you can also go elsewhere. And, you know, whether it's giving some service days to help doing something, you know, like we were building in a small village in the Amazon. We were helping build uh, kitchens and bathrooms for these vill- these villagers. And whatever you can do to be a part of somebody else's experience, it's going to transform your perspective. And I think the more you help others, it's going to really help you at home Mm -hmm. as well. And I think what's sticking with me right now is you saying you can help someone and you can also ask for help. Um, Can you talk about how you've been okay with needing help? I mean, I think... Because yeah, you sound like a, a very independent, strong woman. Yeah. And I would think that sometimes you might think, I don't need your help. I got this. Well, but no, I think a lot of people feel like if you're strong and independent, then you don't need help yeah. or shouldn't ask for help or should feel ashamed to ask for help. So can you talk about how you navigate that? I struggle with it all the time. And I think one of those experiences for me was being a single mom with really young kids. Um, You know, my youngest one was only six months old and I've got a six month old and a two year old. And then I had a one and a half year old and a three year old. And I'm only one Mm. person. I'm working. And so um, one thing that comes to mind just isn't easy every day explanation was like getting to the beach with the kids for me was always very difficult because of the amount of stuff I had to bring. Plus the kids weren't big enough to walk on their own. And I remember my friend um, or a few friends would be like, where are you? I'll send up my husband to go get the chair. And I remember just being like, no, I can do it. And then I was just like, no, I can do it because I have friends who love me who want to help me. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't change my beach day and I didn't fail. I'm 
I'm enjoying life and I'm having a good day because I have friends who are like, you have a ton of stuff to carry. We'll come help you carry it. And as easy and as non-emotional as that moment was, it helped me recognize where I do that in my own life mm. when it is more emotional or it is work stuff or it's um, trying to just say I'm okay. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you'll drown if you don't, if you don't ask for help when you need it. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's it's a hard thing if you're that sort of driven person that's used to leading. Um, but it's it's really a great thing to embrace. Trust me, I have embraced that a lot. I need Linda's help a lot, <laughs> all the time. Everyone in our team. It's so important because we couldn't do what we do if it wasn't for the people around us. You have to have partners and friends that you love. That especially when you are, you know, a strong person. Like I've got that great group of really close friends where I'm just like today's a today's a really bad day. Yeah. And they're like, you remember who you are? And like, thank you. Yeah. But like, yeah. also, what do you need? You know what I mean? Or just breathe or walk outside. Um, and if you don't have those lifelines to call, well, it's so and, hard. And here's something to uh, talk about helping people. So HGTV Extreme Makeover. I mean, this is the ultimate way of helping people. Um, I want to hear about that experience, how that came about for you to be a part of the show. And, and what that was like for you, you've already been helping people in many ways, but then to be able to step up and do complete transformations like this. You know, I think every once in a while, you're just given an amazing spiritual and professional opportunity and those two things intersect. Mm -hmm. And I just was so humbled. They found me, they called me and I was like, this is never going to happen. I remember this show. Like I cried with my dad to this show. Like, thank you for calling me. I'm sure they'll find somebody who's capable, but you know, this, this isn't going to happen. And when it did, it just was so emotional because it allowed me to become who I wanted to be publicly because mm -hmm. it was everything that was true to me, both design-wise, but beyond that, who I want to be as a human being and who I want to be associated to being. And both of those things would have remained true without that show experience. Mm -hmm. But I do think it was one of those moments that pushed me into my purpose, mm -hmm. even further than I thought I would be given the experience or you know opportunity to do at the time. Um, and I mean that not only from like the getting host, you know, getting cast on the hosting and design team, but emotionally to, to have to show up and hear these stories and respond to people's emotions and look them in the eyes and take the hugs that were meant for a crowd behind me. That's an emotional experience that I don't think anyone's ever prepared for. Mm. And by doing that, I learned a lot about the power of giving and the power of philanthropy beyond anything I could have accomplished as an individual. I mean, that show is seas and seas of people and, and they're associating you with it. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. What is saying, you are the perfect casting for this show because you you are already you already encompass what the show is all about and supporting your community and helping people it just puts more eyeballs on you and what you're doing what your whole team were doing for the show which is in turn inspiring so many more people out there so i i love it i absolutely love it and it's a great show yeah. it is a great show i did used to watch it as a kid too and just like waterworks every single episode um you're more yeah. stylish than ty pennington though so yeah <laughs> But yeah, I think what, what you said about like receiving the hug for the team of people behind you, that is such um, an eloquent and like graceful thing to say because yeah, it does take an entire village to yeah. make that happen. Well, and I don't think you ever feel prepared. Like there were moments where volunteers were sharing that the reason they were there is because they had experienced the death of their own child and they're they're going through an emotional moment where they're sharing a story with you and using you as a platform and a therapeutic moment mm -hmm. and the heart and the openness and the vulnerability that they're giving you. And you're going, I'm just a mom from Marina. You know, like what? <laughs> like I don't deserve these, this much of your heart. You know what I mean? And I really had to step into the uncomfortableness of like someone hugging you and crying on your shoulder. 
you know, yeah. and, and that moment is so much bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. But if ever I was going to emotionally break, or if ever I didn't think I was built for it, that experience taught me how to give. What is the most beautiful thing in your life experience or, or a memory or whatever? It be, what to you is something that is the most beautiful thing to you? I mean, the two things that come to mind right away are my children and the ocean. Like, I don't think I could live without either one of those things. Uh, we, we want more ocean time too. Yeah. Like, we keep trying, like, our days get come busy. And we'll, we'll just come, yeah, we'll come out to the water and Where then we're are like, you again? Right in Venice. I'm okay. only a block up. We can walk that. there. We were super excited to hear that you love antiques. Is that true? Because you need to tell us more. <laughs> yeah, there must be some amazing antique shops in Venice. There is. There's one called, um, oh, I'm going to blank on the name, but it's right on Lincoln. It's one of my favorite, the Mart Collective. Okay. And they basically are a collection of a bunch of the stores that you see at like flea markets. Mm -hmm. And then they sort of stash all their stuff there in these individual stores. And then the shop owners like run it, but it's the individual flea market stores are owned by each individual curator. So you can find a lot of different things. That sounds like a dream. We love old stuff and we love garage sales and and thrift shops. It's so, it's so exciting. And for us, the thing that we love more than just finding an item though, is to learn the story behind the item is really important. So uh, this is how nerdy I am down in my office. I actually have right now a bunch of our antiques are all laid out on the floor because I'm just trying to figure out where we want to place them and how we want to display them because to me, nothing is more painful in design than if you have a really cool, unique piece with a story and it's shoved in a box or a drawer. Oh, totally. Uh, Yeah. Do you use a lot in your designs, a lot of antiques? I do. And I also encourage a lot of my clients to bring those things out of drawers. Mm. I think so many people have like, those letters from their grandmother or something that they think is like not beautiful or trendy. And those are the jewels, Mm -hmm. especially when you put them in like a beautiful curated shelf and it doesn't match, but it goes like that Mm. cute little baby doll that your mom used to play with. Like stop leaving that in the hope chest and get it out and talk to people about it. Our, our niece uh, came in into my office when I was in there and I, with all the antiques that are left out, I have some of my childhood things as well. And I have my, my old Teddy and then I have a little birdie kind of a thing. And so, Chicky. Or, or Chicky, it's called Chicky, which I didn't remember. <laughs> I thought I called it birdie, but my mom reminded me I called it Chicky. Uh, anyway, but actually both our nieces were there. They both came running and they saw them. They both grabbed them and they hugged them and they said, Teddy and Birdie. And they're like, can we play with these? And I'm like, no, you can't play with those. And I was like, those are mine. They're 40 years old. And then afterwards I'm like, what the hell is the point of holding on to these if somebody else can't get enjoyment out of it? So the next time they come over, I'm going to be like, hey, you guys want to still play with these? Go ahead. Yeah, have, have it. A Don't rip the head off it. But the typewriters... Uh, they're not allowed to play with that yet. So we have this really cool old typewriter that our friend got us as a wedding present. And every time our nieces come into the, like my office and Drew's office, they start pressing the keys and they're so rough they're a little, with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I did the same as a kid, but I wasn't as rough. And yeah, I don't blame them. No, they are really rough. It's the same strumming my guitar. They get in, they get really rough with it. Yeah, so they're not allowed to play with that just yet. Maybe we should get them their own typewriter. Yeah, like a fake one until they're old enough to play with this one. Right, and like sometimes you want to wait for them to reach an appropriate age to play with things yeah. like that. I know my mom had like, a few really cool old like Tonka truck sort of Ooh. things. And I'm sure they're like, were something. So for a while they lived on a shelf yeah. and then as the kids got older and then they also got excited to play with it because it became something special to play with mm. that they weren't allowed to play with until they were ready. Uh, Hannah, are the girls responsible enough to, uh, okay. They're responsible enough. I can let them play with my it. sister who works with us. She's our producer. Podcast. Yeah. She's-, she's in here. They're, they're her her kids. <laughs> so what's the coolest thing in a renovation that you've done? What is the coolest thing that you've found? We found a letter from World War II that fell behind the mantle and the brick. And when we were renovating, we pulled it out. And it was from the grandkids to the grandmother asking if they can collect some mitts and things for the, and the soldiers foods and canned and foods. It was really cool. And it was unopened. It was still unopened. So of course we opened it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it was very, so what's the coolest thing that you ever found in one of your projects? So I was going to say, I found like a painting in a wall once. It wasn't very 
cool though, but it definitely looked like, you know, some kid had made it at some point in time and you wondered why. But one of the coolest things I found for one of my projects is I sat down with Vinick Historical Society and went through their archive of photos, which was really just a bunch of family albums that were on loan to the Historical Society. And I sat and flipped through them for about three, four days in some woman's living room who held these archives and just looked at all these old photos of Venice Beach and the way people lived. And I continue to go back to those sort of historic things and bring them into a pre- in the present. That's very cool. I love, I mean, it means so much more if you know the history of an area and you can have something infused into the design that speaks to that. Yeah, I feel like it anchors you in the context of where your house sits, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it can be steeped Above in my bed, I'll have to send you guys a photo. I took one of the photos and it's a bunch of women and they're like in a running start and they have like these cool balloons on their back and there's like a series of them. But I, every day I look up and I'm like, those are my ladies reminding me that it's time to run with balls on their backs. It's time to fly. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it is. I want to and see it, that photo. But like it, it, and it means a lot to me because it it sits right above my bed. I wake up in the morning, and there are all these just women in a running start. Hmm. And uh, one of the history behind Venice is the creative director who was doing all of these shoots was from New Orleans. He was a black man. He was one of the first landowners hmm. in um, African American landowners in LA. And so he, he curated these shoots. Hmm. And it's funny because one day somebody, of course, social media trolling was like, "Oh, I love all those white ladies you have above your." bedroom and from the 50s and I was like if only you knew and let me tell you this is actually an incredible story um you know so I am also a history nerd this is hey we're all nerds together all right we have our speed round we want to do some speed round if you're ready okay give it to me all right what meal makes you feel at home and who cooked it mashed potatoes my grandma (laughs) what's your uniform at home caftans Ooh. Wait, what? Caftans. Fancy PJs. One big dress. Oh, I, I've never heard like, that term. Seen them in India. You yeah. know, like the one sort of robe looking uh, dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Like, yeah. Sparkles all over it. Um, nice. Yeah. What smell reminds you of home? Gardenias. Your, our last guest said gardenias as well. Yeah. All right. What song reminds you of home? Ooh, the Beach Boys. All right. Wh- which song? Anything. Um, I'm trying to think. What's the one that goes little surfer, little girl? Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, uh, hold on. I know. One sec. Right? Drew has a list of songs that he wants to sing. So this, I I feel. (laughs) God only knows what I'd be without you. That one? That's one of them. Yeah. That's fun. That's definitely fun. <laughs> that album was on like repeat my childhood. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, what's your perfect Sunday morning at home? <sighs> Probably the kids crawling in bed with me. Mm-hmm. And I am a big like breakfast in bed person. Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too. When you make it. <laughs> oh, yeah. what, what's, your, what's your most vivid memory of home? Oh, that's interesting. Um, probably like putting on dance concerts for the rest of my family around the holidays with my cousins to like, you know, Janet Jackson. <laughs> nice. We did that to Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> it was very Vogue, inappropriate. Vogue. We were uh, probably, I was probably eight and we um, did the Madonna, was it like, like a virgin tour? <laughs> no idea what we're dancing to or singing to, but like it was Madonna. My sister Hannah was Madonna always, and I had to be the backup dancer. I never had to be in Madonna, but it's okay. you guys are so so risky. <laughs> I I danced to Billy Ray Cyrus. That was our, the one we would put on. But the whole family pauses to watch you put on this performance, and you're like, "What am I doing?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> clap anyways. It's it it stands out vividly because you're like you create that expectation, and then you're on stage. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the living room. What's uh, name three things on your bedside table? Uh, essential oils, because I'm from Venice Beach. Um, <laughs> actually, a printer. <laughs> what? On your bedside table? 
that happened since the pandemic, but like <laughs> I literally am a workaholic. What? So okay, this you we gotta talk. This this has gotta change. <laughs> How badly do you have to print something if you're sleeping? Oh, hold on, I gotta. I wake up and I just start working and I'm an old school pen and paper person. So I, if I like want to react to something, I need to tactily like highlight and circle it. And then print it. <laughs> and be that nerd that I am. I am a nerd. I'm trying to think. Um, what is on my bedside table now? There's well, like nothing my- else because your printer takes up all the space. <laughs> all the room. Um, you know what? A little box of like trinkets that the kids bring me. Aww. So I have a little box like dedicated to like the bracelet that they'll bring me or like the little note. And I, I'm a curator of space. So I don't always like want to put those things prominently everywhere, but they often ask me, mommy, where is it? I'm like, it's right here. I sleep with it. It's Aww. right here. I love that. So it's, those are the kind of cute things to have in a design I hope as hell you don't curate a fax machine on side tables, uh, night tables for, guests, Printer, for, for your not clients. Fax oh yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Basically the or same, the same thing. thing. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> also scams. Uh, no, but you oh. know, I, I, I have big dreams, and it takes a lot of not cute things to accomplish those. True. Well, yeah. last question I have for you, unless you have any others. Uh, the last question I want to know is. Of all the designs you've done over the years for all the families, what's your favorite design and what's the story behind why? Well, I loved working with the Barobi family on Extreme Makeover Home Edition. And we were able to give them a home and they had never known one. Mm -hmm. um, and we were able to sort of portray a lot of their cultural elements and they were young and give everyone their own room. But because they were young and vibrant, the design was just really fun and sort of out of the box, but so meaningful and heartfelt. Um, and that just stands out to me, both visually, but also what it meant. Mm -hmm. Isn't it amazing though, when you do, we've done renovations all over US and Canada. And it when you see somebody who you know, they're not even asking for anything and they would they would never want to ask for something for themselves. They're only ever about supporting everyone else. And then you do something like this and the look in their eyes and that smile on their face and the tears of joy, it's, I will never, ever get tired of seeing yeah, that. Yeah, makes it all worth it. So um, I would love you to give us a little tease about the new exciting show you're filming right now. So I am filming The House My Wedding Bought here in Austin, and I'm working with young couples on how to really allocate the spend between their wedding day and purchasing a new home. And I feel like this is so relatable. Everyone I know sort of waits for these big savings moments to do the two most important things in their lives, but they've never done them before. And they've saved up sort of one lump sum and one person wants to spend more on the wedding and less on the down payment. Somebody else might want to spend more on the down payment and less on the wedding. So what's amazing is in the end, they end up with both. Um, but we help them sort of really get to the heart of what's important to them so that they can make the most with their savings and creating a new future together. Oh, me, that is just, so beautiful. I got to point out now, so we're just adding more to your resume. So a financial planner, wedding planner, <laughs> planner, uh, whatever else is in between. Couples therapist. Yeah. <laughs> that, that comes with being a designer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. But that, congrats on, on the new show. That's really exciting. I, we I'm, can't wait I'm to watch. To I love it. weddings. I love design and I love love. So, and we love you. Thank you for making this time. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Yeah. So yes. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Awesome. Bye guys. Bye. Thank you so much, Bregan, for joining us. That was a fun chat. She makes me so excited for design. Not that I'm like not, but you know, talking to someone who's really passionate about it mm -hmm. makes me, yeah, excited to the to passion look at rubs stuff. off on you. Be sure to check out our show notes where we'll share Bregan's kids' book, Carby. Also, be sure to check out our vlogs we've been sharing each week. It's kind of fun recording some of the antics that we get up to, like shoving Linda in the pool. Oh yeah, oh. that that was not cool. It was cold. It was not cool. Maybe we should do one about our antiquing and yeah. thrifting. Oh, you you ruined my my like segue. I was gonna say, speaking of antics, 
we should do one about our antiques. Ah, great minds think alike. Uh, I like this. But check it out on YouTube, youtube.com slash at home. And to all of our homies, a huge thank you. Brandon Angelino. Annalie Bell. Hannah Fan, Courtney Awanis. Wes Friend. Chris Cobain. Jessica Bryant Harvey. And Nicole Schachter. Our theme music is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson. And music is composed and produced by Rick Russo. And actually, most importantly, I want to say thank you to everyone out there listening. You are our community at home. And if you do have a few seconds and you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe and rate. And leave a comment or connect with us on social. We always want to hear from you our handle is at at home across the board and we just want to tell you that you are part of what makes our home a happy place bye guys love you love ya oh love you too linda (laughs) 